Hey everybody, this is Carlos. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, we're going to be speaking with Dave Palumbo of Muscle Serpents University and Palumbo's Boas and Pythons. Dave is a top-notch boa breeder focusing on many cutting-edge morphs, including the Labyrinth, Sterling, and Scoria projects. We're going to talk about his life as a professional bodybuilder and how he got involved in the boa game along with what his plans are for the upcoming season. Finally, we're going to talk about the importance of establishing a social media platform. Boa Rack Radio is on the air now. Welcome everybody to Boa Rack Radio. I'm your host, Carlos Rojas of Morse Unleashed. Today our guest is Dave Palumbo. Based out of Florida, Dave is well known for his cutting edge work with many boa morphs, including being one of the first people to produce a super hypo crystal boa. He's also a former professional bodybuilder, the founder of RX Muscle, and the host of a popular uh, YouTube channel, Muscle Serpents University. Dave, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome, man. So I'm really uh, glad to get you on, man. I've been following your bodybuilding career and been following, you know, what you've been doing kind of on the business side with the supplements stuff for quite a while, man. But um, more importantly, I've been really, really impressed by uh, some of the work you've been doing, not only with the animals you've been producing, but some of the social media work that you've been doing, like on YouTube within Muscle Serpents University. So I've been really, really looking forward to getting you on and getting a chance to chat with you. So um, for those people that, that, don't know your background um kind of give us your background and how you got started with reptiles and then kind of go into how you got uh, interested in boas you know it's it's a weird it's a weird like thing because first of all you know i'm like a like an absolute lunatic perfectionist like you know immerse yourself and learn everything that possibly is about whatever you're interested in that's like you know that's and i'm sure a lot of us are like that oh, totally man yeah yeah so you know for me I never think I'm doing enough for this for this, as far as the snake stuff goes because I just don't have enough time. Like normally, you know, I'm I'm a guy who was in the bodybuilding world and I immersed myself in that like a thousand percent. And you know, I built this RX Muscle YouTube channel and the RxMuscle.com website and my nutrition company because I was just like selfishly immersed in it. You know, I didn't have um, any kids. I didn't. You know, I was like just a single guy. You know, and I got married like in 14, I met my wife, and we started having kids in 16, and all that changed. Like all of a sudden, I have like, there's no, it's like I was a guy who slept like nine hours a night, you know, because for bodybuilding, you know, you want to be able to recover. And, and, and now I'm sleeping four hours, and I still don't have enough night, time to do everything I need to do. So for me, when, when, when you tell me like, oh, you love the channel and all the social media, I, I'm like, I'm like doing like a fraction of what I would normally do for it, but I appreciate that. that That's you know. funny, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do, I'm like, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm half-assed at it a little bit in terms of my own, you know, what I hold the standards, standards I hold myself yeah. up to. But but needless to say, so I got involved. I was actually, believe it or not, I, went to, I was in school to become a doctor. Oh, wow. I was, um, I went to four years of college at Franklin and Marshall College, and then I went to three, I got to medical school, in uh, New York and Westchester and went there for three years and I dropped out and it's funny because I went before I went to college I think it was either the, the my I think it was the year before I went right after high school I, I had a job in like probably my only job my only real job in, in my entire life and I'm 52 now um, I'm proud to say that I never had a real job except <laughs> this one job in Petland discounts because you know I was into animals I was into I had a million fish tanks as a kid I had hamsters and birds and you know, I didn't really have any reptiles until I started working in this store. And 
there was a bunch of like guys like with long hair you know that was like the thing all the reptile guys had like long hair you know like heavy metal guys you know smoked a lot of pot and i was like you know kind of a straight laced guy going you know i'm going to college next year and these guys probably you know barely graduate high school and so i'm hanging out with these guys in the store and we you know we i used to i loved working there all we did was clean shit and you know and fish tanks and uh, but there was reptiles there and they these guys introduced me to snakes and it's, I remember one guy, this one guy, Vinny, he knew all the, the Latin names to all the snakes and, and, and reptiles. And I was like, you know, I felt inadequate around these guys because I didn't know. I was like a fish guy, you know, and I, but, I, but it was fascinating to me. So I started learning all this and st- I would study the books and stuff like that and read all these, anything I could get my hands on. Because remember, there was no internet back in the 80s. Right, right, right. So um, needless to say, the one guy, Vinny, used to invite me over to his house and show me all the snakes he had. He had like some, you know, every, back then everyone had one of everything, like, you know, a boa, a, a Burmese python, a reticulated python. These guys had even had some, like, some venomous stuff at the time. And I got into it to the point where before I went to college, I actually bought a Burmese python baby and I brought it with me. That was my first snake. I loved this, the, the thing was great, you know. Uh, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I had like a hot rock, you know, in the tank, you know, I, you oh, know, yeah. I just, we were all there, the, the, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the museum at my college actually had a reticulated python there. There was like a wild caught thing. It was like the nastiest thing. And, but they used to breed mice there. So I used to get my mice for free from them. And it was, it was cool. You know, I, I did that for a couple of years in college. And then I got into medical school and went to medical school and I got to really immersed in the bodybuilding world so much so that I actually, Dropped out of medical school, believe it or not. Took a year off because, and I started making really good money in bodybuilding because I had like a really good background. I was writing for the magazines, you know, because I had a science background and all that stuff. And so, flash forward, you know, I got into the whole bodybuilding world. I became like pretty well known. You know, I was one of the biggest guys out there. You know, Um, I became one of the guys, the information providers. I did seminars and guest appearances all over the place. And you know, I lived the whole bodybuilding, you know, crazy lifestyle, and I loved it. And at some point, I was doing my. I started doing RX Muscle, which was like a, a media website, and I had a radio show every week. I still have it. It's called Heavy Muscle Radio. It's a podcast, and I was talking about when I had my snake and and how I missed it, and I really hadn't had a snake. And and a friend of mine, I didn't even know he bred ball pythons. He's like, oh, I'm gonna bring you over an egg in an incubator, and he gave me an egg in an incubator, 2010, and it hatched, and I put it on my channel. I was like, you know, it was like the coolest thing. It was a regular ball python, but it was the first snake I had had. I never even had a captive hatch snake because back then everything was wild caught. And so I started getting into ball pythons now. I started saying, he started showing me all the different colors and I'm like, they have colors? You know, the first time you hear about this, it's like, what? Albinos? Holy shit. I have to get some of this. And so I went to a, I, I started going to reptile. I went to a reptile show, I remember, and I was hooked. You know, I bought like a, a normal, I think I bought an albino there. And then I started looking at, into boas. And I'm like, I bought the book, The com, uh, the Complete, you know, uh, Boa Constrictor right. by Ben Russo. You know, and you, everyone, you, you remember when you read that book, right? Oh, it was absolutely, like, man. It was like the Bible you read, you know. I was like, holy shit. And then a friend of mine said, you know, I was telling him about I read the book. And I'm, I, I bought, I think, an albino online somewhere. I bought like a sun glow. My friend's like, you should really contact Vin Russo. You know, he's, I said, he's on Long Island? He's like, yeah, he lives on Long Island. You could probably go buy some steaks from him. But, you know, Vin doesn't let anyone come to his house or anything like that or his facility. So I'd contacted him via email. And he's like, uh, you know, I'll be at White Plains Reptile Center, uh, Reptile Show. Why don't you meet me there? You can take a look at some of the snakes I have. I said, all right, fine, whatever. I kind of blew him off. So I went there with my, my 
my girlfriend who's now my wife, we brought a camera. You know, I started interviewing people at these shows. I started a little. I started my muscle service university challenge. Right. I'm, like, I'm going to do this the right way with social media. So I go there and, and I'm walking around and I'm interviewing people. And you know, I don't know that much about reptiles at this point. I'm just really getting into it. But I know how to interview people because I can I can ask people questions. This is what I do, right? So right when we're leaving, we're exhausted. You know, we're there for a couple of hours. I walk past this table and this guy yells out, "Hey, I know you." I turn around. And I see cutting edge herps, and that's Vin Russo's table. I'm like, oh shit, I forgot he was here. I didn't. Even, um, he's like, no, I know you. I said, oh, for, what, what do you know from bodybuilding? I said, you're Vin Russo, right? He goes, yeah. He goes, I know you. I said, how do you know me? He goes, we worked together at Petland Discounts. That's hilarious, man. In 1986, you had a Pontiac Grand Prix, T tops. Remember, you came out, used to come over to my house. I'm like, you're Vinny? The long-haired guy? <laughs> that was Vin Russo. So Vin Russo and I worked 30 years ago together at Petland Discounts. Didn't awesome. know that he became Vin Russo. And we became friends after that. And, you know, I bought a bunch of snakes from him. And I, you know, I bought a bunch of his blood boa stuff. And I uh, bought some ball pythons from him. Some, you know, uh, caramillos, which are the the uh, caramel and the ultramel combined. I bought some, like, you know, some cool stuff that he had. Uh, I bought I bought my... Het Sterlings, my Russo Red Pastel Het Sterlings from him, which I just did a video on them today, obviously. Uh, Funny enough, uh, the females grab it again, full of babies again. And ironically, I actually produced Russo Red Pastel Hypo Sterlings before he did. That's funny. I bought this because when he produced the Hets, because he had taken a a Sterling and he had bred it to his um, Russo Red line of Boas and produced Het Sterlings that were Russo Red Pastel. I guess he sold some and Cowrie kept the best ones that he felt were the best ones. And then I bought a pair and I think mine bred the year before his did. So it was pretty funny. It was ironic that you know here I am, Vin Russo, that I, I, I produced the first Russo Red Pastel Hypo. I think mine's actually Super Hypo Sterling. And I produced a bunch of them. I sold a couple, kept a few. And now they're breeding, actually, ironically enough. So... Yeah, that was my so that was my introduction into the snake world. It was really through Vin Russo in 1986, and then it just took me 30 years to get back to it. You know? Oh yeah, no, I, I get it, man. So let me ask you, what are some things outside of reptiles that you're passionate about? Oh, well, you know, I'd say I'm I'm one of these guys who gets like uh, obsessed with like whatever I'm, I happen to be into at the time, and um, I kind of like really. I want to be like an expert. And so that bodybuilding was the first, my first love, I guess you could say, that I really fell head over heels for that, where I was willing to pour everything in my soul into. And so I wanted to learn how the body worked in terms of to build muscle and to lose fat. And I saw that there was a science to it that no one had really exploited or, or figured out. And because a lot of the people who had a good, you know, a good insight into training and, and, and doing the whole bodybuilding thing had very little formal education. I don't know why, you know, it's just, just, that's just the way it would. So I kind of took my, my, my medical school training, all that, you know, science geek stuff that they had jammed into my head. And I started applying it towards how to be healthy rather than, I, I was kind of turned off by the whole medical profession where they treated symptoms and they really didn't care about what caused disease. Right. I was really into preventative medicine. So I started using that and I started applying that. Okay, how can we build muscle and burn fat and eat, but yet be healthy still? And, and I kind of, you know, I'm pretty well known now as the guy to go to as far as diets. I, I kind of was promoting the ketogenic diet 
at least my version of it, the performance version of it, for 20 years before oh, they even man. came out with this whole keto thing, which is now huge in the in the regular world. So everyone knows the Palumbo ketogenic diet. They talk about that. And, you know, I'm kind of like the guy to go to in, in, in my field as far as, you know, the ant, you know, if you can't, if you can't lose fat, if you can't do this. So I, I, to me, I feel very empowered by having that knowledge in terms of like, and being able to teach it to people. My father was, was an English teacher for 35 years. And he, the one thing he said to me, he's like, I'll never tell you what to do. He didn't even, he didn't even tell me, go back to medical school, even though I'm sure he wanted to when I dropped out. He always said, um, don't become a teacher. <laughs> they, don't, <laughs> they don't make any money. He said, that one, the only thing I'll ever tell you. And the funny thing is I became a teacher, just not in the formal sense. I, right. I don't teach in the classroom. You know, I, I, my own, I'm my own business, you know, that I, but I teach. And I have his, he gave, that's his gift that I got from him of how to take complex you know, situations and break them down simplistically for people to understand in simplistic terms so that they don't feel intimidated by it because they don't teach you in school how to eat properly. And I think that's the same thing with with the snake world. So I took that ability to do that and I've applied it to the snake world and and reptile world in the sense that everyone made everything so complicated. And Oh, boas are too hard to breed. You you ever hear that? I mean, I I, I have so many people tell say that. They're not, nothing's hard to do if you know the, the formula to do it. Correct. But the problem is a lot of people either, A, don't want to tell anyone what to do. They think it's some kind of secret. And I know people get, I've lost a couple of friends in this in this reptile world because they were pissed off that like I was giving out too many of the quote secrets. And I'm like, who cares? Put it all out there. Everyone should know how to, this should be, it should be put out there so that everyone can do it. It's the creativity that comes along with with breeding boas that makes you a good boa breeder. It has nothing to do with like, all right, if I turn the temperatures down and increase the humidity. and I mean, that's just a formula, you know? Just because you know how to eat properly and you know how to go to the gym and train doesn't mean you're going to be a world-class bodybuilder. There's a genetic component to that, but there's also a, a how hard are you willing to work component. Yeah, and there's, there's also to, that artistry right? component to it too. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the reason why Justin Kabilka is such a great ball python breeder is not that he, he he didn't have more money than everyone else he just had the the creative insight to mix the right you know morphs together and then had the marketing savvy to be able to market that so that's that's creativity i call so i mean there should be no restrict you know with ball pythons they're so easy to breed that there's no secrets really, really right, once you yeah. learn to, to put them together but with boas there's this whole mystique about like well i don't want to tell this person how i did this or that or and i don't like that so i i my muscles my rx muscle channels tagline is the truth in bodybuilding and really you know muscle serpents university the reason i called it that was because it is. The, I wanted to make it a, a, a school, like almost like right. that's why I called it Muscle Sermons University. I wanted people to be able to learn because there's a, there's people coming into the hobby at different levels, and I don't want them to be intimidated and scared off by it because they think they can't do it. And that's why podcasts like this are great because you're having people on who are telling other people how to do things and taking away that scare tactic. And that's why I, when I first got into that, and I'm still doing it, I listen to, I don't listen to any bodybuilding podcasts. People are like, oh, what bodybuilding? I'm like, I don't listen to any. I listen to only reptile podcasts because I know enough in bodybuilding. I want to learn about the, I'm still learning in reptiles, you know? Oh, absolutely. I don't know everything. Yeah. I don't even know, I probably don't even know 50% of what I should know, but I might know 1% more than the next guy. That's about it, you know? So I think this, the education part of it is really what, what kind of turns me on about the whole thing. And so, 
I always told people in the bodybuilding world, and I still tell them this, always make sure that there's one other thing that you are so passionate about and you love to do so that if one thing is not going well in your life, you have the other to fall back on. And that's what I do. I, I piggyback between <laughs> bodybuilding and, and the reptile thing. So if one's not going so good, I get the other one to kind of immerse myself in and, and vice versa. And then, of course, I have my kids. That uh, you know, I have young kids now. So I, that's my third, you know, big, great passion, obviously. So oh, yeah. I'm busy, you know. And I think that a lot of people don't have enough interest. And that's why they during this time of quarantine, they're all going out of their freaking minds because they don't have anything else going on, you know. Oh, yeah, no, I feel you, man. And, you know, for me, quarantine's actually been pretty much uh, the same as always because... Me I'm too. always uh, pretty busy <laughs> with a series of hobbies and training and all that right. other stuff. So, yeah. Let me ask you, man. Um, when you decided to go kind of from that hobby collection into actually, you know, uh, getting a breeding collection going and eventually right. uh, establishing um, uh, Palumbo's pythons and boas, what kind of made you go made you go through that transition? Was there a key event, or was it something that just kind of gradually developed? Well, to be honest with you, my wife said that you know you're wasting all this money on on these snakes, as, as <laughs> most people's wives do. And I said, well, it's a business. And she's like, you know, it's not a business. You're losing money. I said, well, yeah, but I, I got to build up a breeding stock before I can make money. So I I really wanted to prove to her that I could actually make money from this. Right. You know, at least that it wouldn't just be a hobby. Look, because let's say I make enough money from bodybuilding, I don't need to make any money from snakes. I could just make it a hobby and lose money. But I don't want to hear her complaining that I'm losing our money, you know, for the kids. So, so I turned it into a business just really to prove to her that. Plus, you know, I I, I think it, I'm at a point in my life where I, I think that everything should be handled as a business. And she's right in that respect. So I set up, you know, the, I set up a corporation. And I realized at some point, even though I was initially I was just buying things, I, at some point I'd be selling things too, right? Because you want to right. pay for your food, you know, the routing bill and all the other supplies that you have to get. And so you can't keep everything you, you produce either. So you're going to have to sell off the stuff that you don't want or, you know, that you have too many of. And so I set up I set up it as a business. You know, I set up a PayPal account. I have kind of a website, but I really haven't launched the website yet. I own a, a URL, Palumbo's Pythons, you know, dot com. But I, I really, uh, you know, in, in this day and age, morph, I use Morph Market for any, pretty much to sell all my animals. And I use the YouTube channel, like I use my RX Muscle channel, to educate and to be able to sell things via that vehicle. So right. if I go, I have a show called Ask Dave on my bodybuilding channel where people ask me questions. And a lot of times people ask me about, hey, you know, like let's, for instance, during this uh, COVID thing, everyone's, you know, concerned about immune system. And I, so I do, you know, if someone asks me a question about immune system and I explain to them that it's important that you take in the right minerals, chelated minerals, specifically the right vitamins vitamins to fortify the immune system. And then I say, you know, I make a product called V-Mineralize, which has chelated zinc in it. And we know that zinc inhibits the, the replication of that virus. I said, and so this is something that, you know, you should be taking because all these vitamins and minerals will keep your immune system healthy. And a lot of people don't know that. And they don't take effective dosages of the stuff and they don't take stuff that actually um, is absorbable. And that's why chelated, chelated minerals are absorbable. And then before you know it, you know, I do that, that show goes up on our channel and, and my wife, you know, who does all the orders on our site, receives them all. She's like, um, we just sold a thousand models of the mineralized. What, what, what were you just talking about it or something like that? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, in awesome. fact, I was so, but that's, that's, it's an educational tool, but it's also a marketing tool. So I'm marketing, but I'm I'm educating people as to why they should use products. And I think that's 
an advantage of having a channel and a voice is that if I'm talking about a morph, people might not even know I even have it, or they may not know what makes it special. And so if I can, if I have a, a voice that I can explain to people what this morph is, why it's cool, how you reproduce it, you know, what the genetics of it are, and here's all the different baby, you know, potential you can get, all the different, you know, outcomes, that's going to help me sell the stuff too, you know, rather than me have to like, you know, go and, and, and do marketing in other ways. You know, I don't, I never placed an ad on Instagram or Facebook. I don't, I don't need to, you know, I, I use the channel as my educational tool. A lot of times I sell animals before I even list them because I'm so busy that I don't even have a chance to put the stuff up on Morph Market and I'm selling, you know, animals because people sort of, Hey, I saw it on your YouTube channel. You have this stuff for sale. Um, and, and I'll sell it that way. So it's a tool, but I also enjoy it because it's a way of me giving back to the people who are just starting out or people who just like, look, I like to go on and watch people's channel just to Absolutely. see what the newest stuff is. Right. I mean, it's Absolutely. cool. You know, I'd like to listen to these podcasts. I like to go on Facebook and see when people post a new snake. Hey, I just made a so-and-so. Oh my God. Holy mackerel. Did you see that? Yeah, no, man. I, I remember when you ended up producing the crystals. I, I, I remember just seeing that get, being completely blown away and then kind of sharing it with a lot of other guys that were chasing <laughs> the same project. And we're like, holy right. shit, man. He, he beat yeah, out that a was lot a of people one. to it. <laughs> that was an I remember I bought the pair of uh, Hypolabbies from um, Jeff Ronnie. And Jeff had obviously had the, had the, the market cornered on that one, oh, yeah. you know, right from the beginning. So if you wanted labyrinths, you had to go to him. And a lot of people thought that the crystal was like some mythical unicorn that was not even real because no one had produced a super labyrinth. And I loved that, that just the, the the dangling of that carrot there, like the potential. I was like, I got to get a pair of these labyrinths. But Jeff really charged. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reveal how much, but it was a lot of money for oh, a yeah. pair of these things. Oh, yeah. He did would not go down in price for anyone. I talked to everyone. You know, I know a lot of people. I'm good friends with Mike Weitzman, and you know, he, he, no one got a deal on these things. So I bought the pair. I pay. I think I paid him off on it because I didn't want my wife to have a nervous <laughs> breakdown by how much I spent on these things. And you know, I grew them up. I grew them. You know, and uh, I said I am going to breed these two together. That's going to be the. You know, I know a lot of people started breeding the males out and producing some. Well, there was only a couple guys breeding and trying to produce some other combos. But I'm like, I'm going to produce this. I'm going to breed the the uh, male and female together. I want to. I want to try for that crystal. And I remember, I knew the female was gravid, and I remember Jeff posting up a picture the week before my girl, my female laid, uh, had the uh, babies. Um, he produced a crystal. Um, I, I think he produced two, actually, believe it or not. And I was like, shit, he, he did it before I did. Because I thought I was going to get him. I really yeah, did. Yeah. I thought I was going to have it first. And then a week later, I produced three. I actually produced more than that. Two got stuck in the birth canal. And I lost two that were beautiful, Oof. but I produced three living crystals. But they were they they were definitely super hypo, or at least hypo. But I, I think they're super hypo because they were so reduced pattern. They were it was a, like the the pattern was reduced to a single stripe line right. down their back. If you remember seeing that, and so oh, they yeah. were super hypo crystals, you know, and they were exquisite. They were blue eyed, and they were pink and white and. I was like, holy man, these are my three dragons, like from uh, you know Game of Thrones. That's so right, man. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was just, it was just really cool. It was like the first like real thing that I was like, holy mackerel, you know, this is nuts, you know. Um, and that's I mean, when you do something like that. I mean, you, you're, you're hooked for life after that. Oh, I mean, absolutely, like, man. Yeah. Absolutely. 
So let me ask you, man, who were some of the people that kind of mentored you or inspired you kind of in the beginning when you kind of uh, started taking the whole reptile thing more seriously? Yeah, I, I would have to say it was definitely Vin. I think Vin really, you know, because it's funny because we hadn't seen each other for 30 years, but we were, we kind of would like, like I went away to college and I, I, we had just become friends. Like, and so, you know, he remembered that and he had, Vin has a photographic memory and he was telling me, you know, my car that I was driving and it was T-top pond. He knew more about my, my car than I did, you know, because he just has this crazy memory. And so he, I bought a couple of things from him, but he, you know, we started actually, when I started launched Muscle Surface University, it was going to be with him. I was going to do this show. He would come over to my, my facility, my office, which is my Arx Muscle office and my nutrition office. And we would film there. He would bring snakes and we did a couple episodes. If you look at my very first few videos that I oh, have yeah, up on Muscle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Vin, Vin was there. And so, I used to ask him a million questions. I probably drove him crazy, but, um, and I was obviously, I read his book a thousand times. And ironically, I haven't even, I have the new book. I was like one of the first people to get it. And he put a picture of one of the hypocrystals I had given him a picture of in the book. And I still haven't read the whole book yet. So, but I read the initial book cover to cover several times. And so I'm a bigger immerser. I'm a big believer in immersing yourself in, in, in everything you can possibly get. And so he was a big influence because I knew that he, he knew he was doing things the right way, not the, the cowboy way, you know, where just throwing, he was taking things very conservatively. He's a, he's a very conservative feeder. He doesn't, you know, try to breed his animals too young. He's, he did things the right way. So I said, let me learn from the right guy. And then I, and then I met another guy, Mike Weitzman, from basically yeah, boas and he's yep. a bodybuilder too so we we knew all the same people he knew who i was from bodybuilding and so you know we used to be on the phone all the time and mike knows no one knows this because mike is very private he knows everything he knows the whole history of the of the, of the bow world i mean the guy is like a um he's been around since he's a little kid doing it he's been doing it for like you know 35 years so he knows everything and he's very knowledgeable i probably got more information and more knowledge from him than anyone else in the industry because he just you know, him and I would talk on the phone. We would talk bodybuilding and you know, and and, and health and supplementation, and then we would go into snakes. And so, I, I got a lot of valuable information from him. I bought a couple really. I bought a, two snakes from him too, which were really very good. He has excellent quality snakes. Yeah, no, I would say the two does. of those guys are probably like two of the top boa breeders that I would say are are no bullshit like top of the line guys. You know. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you a hundred percent, man. So uh, let's. Talk a little bit more about kind of your life in bodybuilding. What kind of what, what led you to start training in the first place? You know, it's the same. I was a long distance runner, believe it or not, in in, huh. in college. I had like a partial scholarship for that. I got obsessed with that, um, with just trying to push your body to the limit. I was always like, a, I'm always a guy like I want to I want to have a vision in my head of what I want to look like and what I want to be able to do, and I want then I want to make it happen. And I really didn't have the. I really wasn't meant to be a long distance runner. I kind of molded my body into that by just running 10 miles a day and doing all the stuff and starving myself to down to weight because I was I kind of had muscle by nature on my legs especially and distance runners are those you know you know the guys that run the marathons they're like these emaciatedly skinny guys and so I had to really really torture myself to to, to look like that and I was good you know I was in division three you know in, in college and so I was like one of the best guys in division three I could never have run with those guys who go Division One and into the Olympics. I wasn't at that level. Plus, I didn't know anything about performance-enhancing drugs at that point. You know, I didn't know anything. The guys used that. I was really naive to that. So, I was in that little world. And then, um, I had always worked out a little bit in high school. And then, after like 
college was coming to an end, I was like, you know what? I'm never going to get a date with a girl weighing 140 pounds, you know? So I started working out again. Yeah, but I had good genetics to build muscle. I knew I did. So I started working out and I gained like 80 pounds in like, like literally, you know, like, like like two years, you know, I put on a lot of weight. I went over 200 pounds and I started, you know, I said, holy man, this is addicting. You know, I, I love how I'm changing. And I, I did my first bodybuilding show and I'm like, bodybuilding, for those of you who haven't never done it, it's very addicting because it's like watching your body transform and you can, hey, I want to put a little bit more muscle here and a little there. And if you ever hear Arnold talk about it, it's just, it, it's exactly what Arnold Schwarzenegger says. You know, it's you can mold your body like, like you're a sculptor with clay, except you're putting muscle on your body. So to me, that was a challenge and it empowered me, I think, and it gave me a lot of confidence in myself, you know, all the very superficial reasons <laughs> that we that we all want to look better, right? So right, that we right. feel more secure with ourselves. But I, I took then I, I got to a point where it was well, it wasn't just about getting dates with girls anymore. It was about like, hey, I want I really like competing. I like this whole idea of being able to challenge yourself and 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 be better than the next guy. And because a lot of it came down to who can work harder. You know, can you right. can you torture your body more than the next guy to get your body fat levels so low? that you're in better condition than them on stage and, you know, all the nuances that go along with bodybuilding that people might not be interested in. Um, so that whole challenge, you know, really set the tone for the rest of my life because if you can put your body into a state where pain doesn't matter anymore because you want to look a certain way, you can apply that to everything else you do in life. You can never fail. I mean, <laughs> because that if you don't have that, like, attitude in your head, like, like I can do anything, you know, then... then and how could you fail, you know? And I always tell people, if you want to be a good snake breeder, just don't quit. The only yeah, way you can absolutely. fail as a snake breeder is by quitting because if you, cause people give up all the time because they're like, oh, this sucks, you know, because I thought it was going to be so easy. And uh, it, that means you didn't really like it to begin with. If you, if you don't love being a snake, if you don't love snakes, if you don't love breeding snakes, if you don't love the whole idea of it, you're doing it because you think you're going to make money or something like that or, or get fame – you're in it for the wrong reason. You should do it because you would do it for free, because you would pay to do it. That's what I always did bodybuilding. I always said, you know what? I would pay to be a bodybuilder. I don't, I'm glad that I can make a living doing it. I make a very good living as a bodybuilder, or as, you know, at least in the industry now. But I would have paid, I would have paid money for them to let me go on stage. That's how much I loved it. And that's the way I am with snakes. And I think you're probably the same way. And all the guys listening to this are like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I would probably pay money <laughs> to be a snake reader if, if I had to pay, a, you know, uh, if I had to pay like, you know, like a gym membership, you know, to right, be right, in right. the Snake Breeders Association, you'd pay because you like doing it. Those people never fail. Those people are always successful because you'll never quit because you just like doing it, right? Yeah. And, and I think you hit on a really good point, man. And that's that, you know, bodybuilding a lot of times teaches you that mentality of number one being able to confront yourself when you potentially fail at something and then finding a way to improve it and essentially pushing through that wall right so that, and yeah, then i think that way that thing ends up translating to a lot of other aspects you know in your life i know like for me translated really well and eventually led me to like get into military special operations right because like you know most people say they want to do something but 99 percent of them end up quitting when it gets really difficult Oh, yeah. Really you got to be a nutcase mentally uh, strong to be able to get through that because they try to break you in that. I mean, yeah, right? I, I mean, the challenge is there. I mean, yeah, but the one thing that I that I notice, man, is the mentalities are similar, right? So the guys that succeed right. in, in bodybuilding, especially at the highest level, they share kind of the same mentality 
that guys, like, for example, in special operations, whether it's, like, a SEAL team or a force reconnaissance team, you know, it's that mentality of no matter what, I'm going to figure my way through it. I'm going to try right. to become a subject matter expert in every facet of my job or if in my hobby or in whatever thing you're pursuing, right? So mm-hmm. I think you hit on a lot of that stuff. Hey, man, let me well, ask I, you. I try to tell people yeah. all the time. You know, I tell people all the time, don't quit. <laughs> in bodybuilding, too, I say, look, every single human being out there, male or female, okay, can gain muscle and can lose fat. Absolutely. How will you look when you gain the muscle and lose the fat is genetically determined by what your genetic structure is, okay? And how smart you are in the gym in terms of training and applying that. But we all have a certain genetic capability of of how we're going to look shape-wise and structure-wise, right? And that comes mostly from our parents. But anyone can put muscle on if they eat right and train hard in the gym, and everyone can lose body fat if you diet correctly, so if you know the right formula, and that's what I'm always that's that's my my life sole job, telling people how to eat right so that you can build muscle and, and lose fat. If you'd follow the formula, you have to get bigger muscularly and you have to lose body fat because it's an absolute scientific certainty. Um, there's no doubt about that. So if you don't quit and you and you work hard enough, you will build muscle and burn fat. I, like like I said, not everyone's going to be Mr. Olympia because right. not everyone. I didn't have the genetics to be Mr. Olympia, and I happened to have been one of the biggest guys in bodybuilding. I was over 300 pounds at, at one point, and I was very lean at over 300 pounds. So, but I didn't have the structure to be Mr. Olympia. But I was able to prove to people, hey, here's a guy who's not structurally Mr. a Mr. Olympia, you know, you know competitor. But I was able to put on as much muscle as a Mr. Olympia. So I think that said a lot and to the average person. And I think people can res- it resonates with people. Hey, I'm going to listen to that guy because that guy is not genetically the most gifted guy, but he knows what he's doing, and that's what I want. And I think that's the whole key with snake breeding. Some people in snake breeding just got lucky. They bought into a project or they, they produced a spontaneous mutation in their, pro- in, their, in, their, uh, in their thing, in their collection, and then they made a lot of money from it. But... It doesn't mean that they're necessarily a great breeder of snakes. Yeah. So the breeding of snakes is just, it, it's its twofold, just like in bodybuilding. Number one, educate yourself. You need to know how to do the, the things right. You need to know the, the, the methodologies that work. And then number two, apply it. Because you can read a book about how to be a tennis player, but until you swing a tennis racket, you're not a tennis player. Right. Um, just like you, I could read 100 books on how to breed snakes. Until I breed snakes, I'm not a snake breeder. So there's, a, there's an experience component, and then there's an, an, uh, a knowledge component. And when you combine both of them at maximal capacity, you become a master at what you're doing. And I believe it takes, you know, I've read books too, and they agree this, it takes 10 years of doing something to be a master, experientially speaking. Um, so I look at it this way. I've been breeding snakes since uh, 14 I still got, you know, I still got, I still got another four years before I can call myself a master. But, but you know what I'm saying? If you apply constantly, practice what you're doing, you're going to be great at it, okay? And if you learn the right way to do things, and because you educate yourself by watching podcasts like this and reading books and etc., then you're going to be really, then you're going to become an expert. And you can't help but be an expert, you know, if you do those two things. Oh no, absolutely, man. And um, 
kind of along those same lines, you, you've, you've touched on a lot of lessons that you've learned from bodybuilding that you brought into the reptile hobby. But um, one of the things that I wanted to kind of talk about was more kind of the business side also. And that, you know, I know you've, you started your own uh, nutrition and supplement company. And obviously, you're, mm-hmm. you have a lot of social media work within bodybuilding that you've been translating into uh, the reptile hobby. So what are some of those lessons uh, business wise and social media wise that you've kind of brought in that you learned in the bodybuilding world that now you're applying into reptiles? I'm to be honest with you. I want to be honest with my whole. Life. I'm the worst businessman, to be honest. With you. But I'm also an excellent businessman because I always say I'm a terrible salesman, but I'm a great salesman because I'm passionate about what I do. So you're passionate, and I yeah, speak totally. And when people hear that, it's an, it becomes intoxicating to them. So if I'm talking about you know why you need an essential fatty acid supplement, you know because your body doesn't produce these two families of essential fats, omega-6s and omega-3s, and, and humans need to use uh, animal sources of omega-3s because we, don't, we can't process you know, the plant sources and turn them into usable form. And I give you this whole educational tool, and then I say, well, that's the reason I made my omegalyze formula because it, it's the only essential fatty acid supplement on the market that actually has effective dosages and uses an animal source of omega-3s, specifically fish oil, and uses a, you know, a very high-potency form of omega-6 fats coming from evening primrose oil. And then I also put a, a, an omega-7 uh, fatty acid in there that's not essential, but it helps with insulin sensitivity and reduce, reducing total body inflammation. You're like, where can I buy it? Right? Oh, yeah. oh. I didn't try to sell it to you. I'm not trying to say, hey, I got a great deal on it. I'm doing a five-for-one today. No, I'm... I'm selling it based on its merit. I, that I'm good at, okay? Right, and right. and I and I'm not good at I'm not the guy who's going to call up people on the phone and say, "Hey, you know, you should really bring my species nutrition line in there because I hate doing sales like that. I I'm an educator. I like to educate people and then have people come and 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 buy the products because of the merit of the product. And that's why I sell a very high I sell a very high end product line. I don't sell um, something that's going to compete in Walmart. It's it's right. more of a Mercedes. To sell a Mercedes, you have to really tell people why it's a Mercedes. Because if they don't know why your car is better than the other car, they're not going to buy it, right? If, if, if you didn't know the Mercedes was better, you're not going to spend double the money on a Mercedes. You're going to buy a Honda. Absolutely. Um, so you got to be able to educate. So I said, you know what? I'm going to be the same. First of all, if, my whole reason for breeding snakes is because I want to produce high-end stuff. I know you produce some middle and lower-end stuff just by by, you know, by coincidence because you're not always going to produce you know triple recessive animals you're going to get some that you know because of god that that are zero you know that have that hit nothing so but but my goal was to produce very high-end animals now if i'm going to produce high-end animals i better be able to sell the high-end animals which means i have to explain to people why they're high-end obviously looking good is one great reason but how to produce them and what i went through to produce these animals and so that was the business model that I took from my nutrition company over to the snakes. I'm not going to produce massive amounts of, of animals. I'm going to produce high-end stuff, and here's and I'm going to explain to people how I did it because that's that's exciting, you know. Oh shit, that's pretty cool, you know. Yeah, and I tell people yeah. all the time in the videos I do, if if you you watch them, I say, look, you don't have to buy the double recessive. You don't have to buy the, the paradigm blood boa from me. You can buy the the double head paradigm blood and make your own if you don't have enough money. So not everyone starts at the same level. If you're 17 years old, your parents are not giving you five grand to buy, you know, a snake, you know. But 
for $250 or $300, you can buy a double head and you're young, you grow them up and you produce your own. So big deal, you only hit one visual, but now you got a visual animal that you produced from you know, a $500 investment. Right. And so that's exciting, but you have to know and you have to educate the people out there that you can make this very expensive snake from these heads. You just have to be patient and you have to understand that if you want to get into the game and you don't have a lot of money to, to, to get in at a high level, you have to just be patient. So I, when I went out there and started to get into the reptile world, I started buying, I bought high-end females and I said, I'm just going to grow them up. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to try to chase adults and everything like that. I'm going to buy, in 2014, I went out and bought a lot of very you know, good animals that were, you know, I knew in the future would be worth something. I didn't go and buy low-end stuff. And little by little, I'm still doing it. You know, now, luckily now I have high-end stuff so I can trade a lot of people for stuff. I don't have to necessarily fork out a lot. Of, but I, every once in a while, I fork out a, decent, a good amount of money, I'm embarrassed right, to say. Right. Because you have to keep doing that to stay relevant, you know, and to get good stuff. Because, you know, and that's, you know, that was my business model, if you, if you may. Someone else may have a different business model. So you have to do whatever resonates with you. That was how I chose to do it. And I said, I'm going to market it like I market bodybuilding through education. Yeah, no, definitely, man. So let me ask you right now, uh, as far as the projects that you're focusing on, what are some of the projects uh, that are kind of that have you excited and maybe some of your uh, primary project focuses? You know, they all they all pretty much excite me because I didn't get into anything that really I didn't I didn't like. So um, I love the labyrinth stuff, obviously. I actually, you know, I, I took one of those crystal nails that I produced and I bred him back to his mother this year. And I don't know if he wasn't old enough because I saw locks and the female went early this year because I gave her the year off last year. And I thought I was going to get, you know, 50% crystals. And I got all slugs and I got one crystal that was like just not developed. So I know the male is fertile, obviously, because I wouldn't have gotten anything. Right, I wouldn't have gotten any fertiles. I wouldn't have gotten any snakes, rather. Um, right, but right. I just think he was too young, and and I think you know sometimes you know with boas they're not like ball pythons. You can't breed them too young. I think maybe he just wasn't mature enough, you know. And so I was kind of disappointed in that one. That was like I was really looking forward to producing a whole bunch of the crystals, you know, and being able to get them out there, but it didn't happen. So that was the first failure of the, of the season. But I produced. <laughs> uh, I. I love the um, albino blood project, and I like. I'm, I'm really into the sharp version of that. You right. know, the um, the fire opals you can produce with the hypo albino bloods. I produced. It's funny. I have this female. I have this hypo blood that's het for um, sharp, and she two years ago she produced like four babies for me, right. <laughs> and 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 believe it or not, two of them were were fire opals. Oh, get out of here, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I hit crazy odds. I couldn't believe it. And I, I sold one to a good friend of mine. I kept the other one. The other male will probably breed, you know, I'll be breeding him next year. And I, so I bred the same female again this year thinking, well, you know, she was young. I did breed her. You know, I bred her at like, I think she was two and a half or something like that. So I said, well, you know, sometimes you do that. I gave her the year off and I bred her again this year. And she went early. And she, and she gave me three babies again. Like a really small, you know. She doesn't even look like she gave birth. She's back to her weight already. She had there was about five or six slugs in there, but um, it was same pairing. And but I got and, and here's the funny thing: I got two more fire opals out Jeez. of it. out of three babies. I got two fire opals and a and a sun glow head blood. 
So, and the and the father was not a visual. The father was a uh, a sun glow. Excuse me. The father was a um, sharp het blood. So the odds were not in my favor. So I don't know. I just got really lucky. So that was a that was an encouraging. You know, hopefully they'll make it. You know, I got them. You know, in the incubator right now. They I don't, she had them two weeks ago. So. I, I got lucky with that one. I, but I, I love that project. I do. I, I'm probably one of my favorite projects of the, is this blood albino and the paradigm blood. I've produced a bunch of those. I actually, from, from 2019, I have a, still two paradigm male visuals that I haven't sold. Um, cause, and I, they're, at a, they're growing nicely. And for some reason, that's it, a very healthy gene combination. I usually have very f- few infertiles. They all usually make it. They're not. It's not a weak strain at all. Sometimes you know the albino can be weak, but the paradigm seems to be very, very, um, um, very, very yeah. vigorous. Yeah. Now I sold. A, it's funny. I sold a lot of the double heads, believe it or not, because a lot of people like the project, but you know they just don't have the money to get into it because they're still, you know, paradigm blood is still going for forty five hundred to five thousand bucks. You know, a visual. So I didn't sell that many uh, of the, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hoard out. I don't need to. I can keep the animals if I have to. I don't, I don't need it to pay my bills, which is lucky, you know, because a lot of times these guys get involved and they're like, oh, I, I can't pay my bills. I got it, and they start sit whoring off stuff, and then, right, then right. it ruins the value, of the market. So that I love that project. I love the albino blood. I love paradigm blood stuff, and I'm starting to mix it into some other stuff now. Um, I also love the Sterling project that I, I had mentioned earlier. I love the idea of a patternless boa. And what Vin Russo did, I mean, Vin, Vin, what Vin did, for those you who don't know, is he bred for like 25 years the reddest of snakes together. So every time he would see a red snake, he would breed it together. And then the babies, he would take the reddest babies and breed them together. And then take the reddest babies of those babies and breed them together. And he called it his Russo red pastel line. So he had a, he had a snake that, was, that looked like almost like a blood boa. In redness, and it, it didn't. It, there was no genetics. It was a polygenic trait. It was just a line bred trait. And then he bred it into a sterling, which was patternless snake. He produced double. He produced a het, you know, uh, sterling that was, you know, Russo red pastel. And those are the ones that I'm working with now. And so my, if you look at my latest video I put up, uh, the male that I I use as my breeder now that I produced three years ago, he's a Russo red pastel, which and I think he's super hypo, and he's sterling. He is so red, this snake, that you would think he is blood, that he had the blood gene in him. You would, you would swear to it. I mean, that's how red this thing is. So I bred him back to his mother to produce, because a lot of people have been asking, they want, those, they want the visual sterlings now. Right. I, I sold all the heads off when I, from that first litter in two seconds, okay, because people saw that. And I also bred him to um, his sister. No, no, excuse me. I bred him to... Um, I bred his sister, excuse me, to a paradigm blood. So I'm hopefully going to produce, assuming she goes, because she's a little young, I'm going to produce triple hats, really, if you think about it. They would be head for blood, head for sterling, and para head. Because think about a paradigm blood, Russo red pastel sterling. I mean, That'd I think insane, that might be the, the reddest snake <laughs> you could produce, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's, a, that's a, a long-term project that I'm, I'm really looking forward to because I want to make a solid fire engine red snake. I mean, and, and they're out there already, but I mean, nothing that's perfected yet. I think this would be like perfection if we can do it. Um, that, that gets me going a lot. 
Um, I love the the fire. The funny thing is, I love the super fire project, and I have a couple of them, and I have yet to produce one super fire. I've, matter of fact, I've yet to produce any fires whatsoever. For some reason, oh, wow. I have really bad luck with with the fires reproducing in my um, in my collection. I'm hoping this year that'll all change, but I don't know what it is. I just I get slugs. I don't get any anything. I, it's it's a weird. And, and other people breed them all the time and have no problem. So mm. I don't know. Just I just think I have bad luck with it. The um, the dwarf bow is something that I'm really into, and we you and I were discussing that before the show. And you know, I got um, I actually heard Frank Nutt on Vin Russo's radio show that he had for that like short period of time, talking about the Onyx bow, which was a you know a, a dwarf locality kind of trait, similar to, to a leopard, but not the same. And he had produced some really cool stuff, and I bought a, I imported a bunch of snakes from him from the Netherlands. I think I imported a 1.2 of a hypo onyx that was double het for T positive and the Honduran T positive in blood. And it actually turned out, proved out to be also <laughs> het for uh, anery type 2. And I also imported a, another, a 1.1 of a. Of a an, a super onyx uh, T positive male with a with a sumaton female. So anyway, I, I, I imported these snakes, but what I didn't realize, and, and Frank had told me this, but it's true, these dwarf boas stay completely super crazy small, and they don't eat a lot. Yeah. You know how we think of boas being voracious eaters? They eat when they want to eat. So they, they grow slow. They stay very small. I'm, I'm talking they, they're much smaller than ball pythons. But it's the coolest thing when you see these things reproduce. So I had a litter. I have had I had one female that that was a pretty decent eater, and so she produced uh, over the last couple of years. I produced two litters from her, and these onyxes are awesome. They're awesome. I hit. I think it's you can consider it a quad homozygous animal. I don't even know how I did it. I produced That's insane. A, yeah, Just a hypo blood super onyx Honduran T positive. I say blood. I don't remember if I said blood. I think I said hypo. Yeah, hypo blood. Honduran T positive. Super onyx. Anery type two. Okay, so it's four homozygous and a, and, a, and a hypo in there. The I was actually pissed off that I hit the anery thing because the I I can't even imagine how red it would have been. <laughs> okay, because think about it, the super onyx is red. Right. You add hypo, it strips. It, it's like leopard. You take away that a little layer of, of darkness, and it becomes even redder. Honduran, the Honduran T positive is like the reddest T uh, positive line you can get. Then you put the uh, the blood gene in there. I mean, it was it was it would have been crazy. And then, but then at the last minute, I, I hit the anery thing, so the anery kind of sucked the red out of it. So it's this like ghost like white patternless snake that I have almost. It, it's wacky looking snake, insanely colored i can't even i don't know how to even explain what it looks like now frank this year also produced or was it maybe it was last year he produced the visual um i think he calls it the the bloody baron or the bloody t-positive baron or something like that it's the hypo superonics honduran t-positive blood without the anery he did it and, and it's like crazy red this thing it's crazy red so these little snakes are so cool because they're so easy to keep, they don't—they don't eat a lot. They, they don't—they don't require a lot of room. For someone who's getting into like boas, who loves boas, who just you know can't 
afford to you know buy these big four foot cages and this is a great project it's, it's like to me this is like the future of boa breeding because oh, it's absolutely. like a mini it's like i have these two dogs okay i have a a teacup yorkie it's a micro teacup the thing is two and a half pounds it's full grown it's, okay it's almost 10 years old already and i have a teacup maltese which is not as, as small but it's still like four and a half pounds they're the coolest dogs they're like that you get every benefit of the dog. They don't have to be walked. They go on little pee-pee pads like little kids. Yeah. Almost, you know? And it you can enjoy them without having all the having to say, Oh, I gotta take the dog for a walk forty times a day and let it out and there's poops everywhere. They go they when they pee, it's like a a, a hamster went to the bathroom <laughs> on, on the pee pee pad. You know, so that and there's appeal though. That market for teacup dogs is huge because you get all the benefits right. of the dog, but they're cute, you know what I mean? This is like what the dwarf boa uh, oh, yeah, no, market absolutely. is going to become. And I was talking dwarf about boas were boring because they were like you know a lot for some people, not for others, because some people are into locality stuff. Because most of the dwarf boas were the island boas or the Central right. American boas, right. and they didn't they kind of look dirty looking. But now with all these 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 morphs we have in them, and you can make them so clean looking and red and these vivid colors, and this onyx gene is just amazing. Because um, it's a dark gene, and when you strip away the darkness, you get red, almost like, like I said, like leopard. Right. You people are going to go crazy once they become more available. The problem is they, well, like, it's not really a problem. It's actually a good problem because they they take a long time to breed until they're like four or five years old, the females, and they grow slow and they're not big eaters. So you can't produce a ton of them, you know, which keep will keep the price up. You know, they'll hold their value really well. But you're not going to see a million of them on the market anytime soon, and that's and there's only a couple of people in the U.S. who actually imported these these. And actually, one of the guys who imported them wanted to sell me his, believe it or not. But um, he wanted a lot of money for them, and you know, I just I, I kind of had better stuff than he had already, and I was like, you know what, I I don't want to overwhelm I, I don't want to overwhelm myself. Once again, I'm, I'm not into quantity, and I don't care about cornering the market. I don't. It doesn't matter to me. I, I just want to produce nice stuff, and if I'm going to keep the best stuff that I want, and then whatever else. You know, I, I realize I can't keep everything. I'm going to sell the rest of it. So that's a project that I'm really into. I think that has a lot of potential that I've just begun to tap into, you know. Yeah, and, and then I think you hit on a really valuable point, and that's, for example, how that maybe relates to, like, the mini dog market, right? In the sense mm-hmm. that you're going to have a lot of people that would love to move away from, you know, the ball python side, the pet rock side. For mm-hmm. a lot of ways, because they're not as the truth is they're they're fantastic colors, but a lot of times they lack kind of that interactive quality that people tend to prefer from mm-hmm. you know from animals. And if you get essentially, you know, the boa personality put into a, the, a package smaller than a ball python, it opens that up to a lot of folks who may have been intimidated by the animal size or requirements in the past. You're right, and you know what? A lot of people don't know this, and I'm hopefully going to somehow get one of these <laughs> if, if they ever sell them. Uh, there's a Central American um, albino now out there. You know, right. A lot of people probably know about that. Uh, I think TSK is, is, is working with. And if they ever get these things to breed and, and, and enough to sell a couple of them, imagine getting the albino in that small size into the Central Americans. Because, you know, once you breed the Colombian albino into the, you know, and we've all done it, right? I mean, yeah. that's how we made albino bloods, you know, the snakes get bigger. They don't stay right. small anymore. So if once we can use a, a Central American dwarf, you know, albino, you know, I think it's going to 
once again, it'll take a while to get all this stuff into the all these genes in there again. But you know, in ten years from now, we're going to have a miniature version of 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 boas that are going to be just as spectacular as the big Colombians. Oh, absolutely, man! And then you know, if you even think about it, with the pied boa being a Central American boa, absolutely. You know, now you have a whole different level of potential that that is available for you know that particular that, project. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to even mention. That. I I do have some head pies. Oh, fantastic! Um, in my yeah, my collection that that are going to take a long time to get to breed, but you know, they're there. Um, I I did some trades for them using some, some some of the high end stuff I had, and I hope that they're genetic. You know, we'll find out. No one's really produced any visuals right, yet, right? But obviously, that's I don't. I to tell you the truth, I don't. You have like you don't want to jinx yourself sometimes. I have them, but I don't talk about them, and I just I kind of just they're there, but. I don't really even I pretend they're not because <laughs> until I see the reality of them until I see them reproduce and, and produce a pie, I don't have them as far as I'm right, concerned. Right. <laughs> I got I got I did a video and you might have seen it. Uh, I got in, in sucked into this red ball python project. There was a this guy had in Poland had produced these these solid red red ball pythons. They, they were it was an albino black ball, that's what he was calling it. Yeah. It was a black ball python that when you added albino, it, it, I mean, it was the reddest snake you've ever seen. And there's no red in ball pythons for those of you who know. I got involved and bought into this project, the Hets, through a friend of mine, Mike, who imported these snakes. And it turned out it was, the, it, it was a big scam. Mm. And it was a lot of money spent and wasted. But, um, I, but, I, but I, in the back of my mind, I, I treated them the same way. I never believed they were real because I said, you know what? Until I actually see them produced, and someone produces a couple of them, um, it's just a, it's a it's a mythical. It's like investing in the stock market. It was a, it was right, it was right, a right. penny stock that I bought a lot of in hopes that maybe it would hit, and and it didn't. So I was like, oh, all right, well, I lost money, but I gambled. If if I would have hit, it would have been great. So if these pines hit, yeah, they're, they're going to change the, the the boa breeding world for sure because everyone's going to want to get every gene into that pie. Oh, absolutely. Right? I mean, absolutely. Think about it. I mean. Panda pied, you know, boas would be pretty crazy. You know, oh, you yeah. do an IMG pied. I mean, how crazy is that, right? Absolutely, man. So, brother, we're going to take a quick break. And then uh, when we come back, I'd like to talk to you about uh, your experience establishing a social media presence for your reptile business. Sure. All right, guys, we're back. So one of the things that we wanted to talk about is uh, a lot of times when people set out to grow a customer base, an important thing that they need to address is the establishment of a good social media presence. So Dave has not only succeeded in doing this in the bodybuilding industry, but also in the reptile industry. Um, Dave, can you kind of provide us a little background on how you got started uh, with social media? Yeah, you know, I kind of got sucked into it, like you said, with the bodybuilding world because you have to do that. I was really good at it with bodybuilding. I mean, originally it started with forums on my Arx Muscle website, and then we went obviously to Facebook and then Instagram. And you know, I have—I actually have a guy now who is, works with me, and he does a lot of the um, the social media. He does all the posts, but you know, I do it my own. I have my, my own. I have a hundred thousand followers on my Dave Palumbo Instagram just because of you know my. It's mostly bodybuilding. I don't even put snake pictures on on that profile, and so I said, you know what. I think it's important. Everyone uses 
Instagram and I started using Instagram to look up stuff that I liked. Like if I look like right. a certain boa morph, I would go on Instagram and p- plug it in, you know, and, and if I like a certain, you know, I'm into tropical fish too. I don't, I don't have any fish tanks anymore, but when I was in New York, I, before I moved down to Florida, I had like 16 fish tanks. So I'll go on there and I'll look at different cichlids and, uh, you know, there's a, I don't know if anyone out there follows fish. There's, you know, something called a red arowana. It's like the, it's like the, uh, the unicorn because no one can, you can't import them into this country because they're illegal, the red ones. And so I always go in there and look at the different red, you know, arowana. So, I mean, I knew, I knew Instagram was a good way to market. So I said, you know what, I'll just start a Palumbo's pythons. I'll put up pictures when I'm cleaning, you know, animals or if, if I produce some cool babies, I'll just snap a picture and I'll just put them up. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put pressure on myself to do it. You know, like neurotically, because I find that social media becomes. Because if you're an obsessive compulsive person, and I wouldn't say I'm, I'm OCD, but I'm close to it. You know, because I, I want. I'm a perfectionist. You can start getting stressed out by the whole thing. You know, so I said I'll put up when I have the ability to. If, if I have busy days, like I record my bodybuilding stuff on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and I can't get to it, fine. I'm not gonna worry about it. Same thing about when I started my YouTube channel for Muscle Surface University. I recently I started saying I'm going to do a video every day, five days a week, Monday through Friday, and I, sometimes I just can't do them. You know, I right, just totally. I just don't have enough time. You know, and I don't stress myself out. I don't beat myself up for it and say, "Oh, I fucked up." You know, I, I don't. I just I just don't know. But but the key is consistency. People like consistency on social media. So you you're going to start off. You're going to have no one following you. Okay, that's just the way it goes. Now I had a little bit of an advantage because I invited a lot of my friends from bodybuilding to look at my reptile page and I segregated the two. Like I said, I didn't, I don't do crossover. I don't do bodybuilding on the, on the reptile page. I don't do, you know, reptiles on the bodybuilding page just because it's a niche like type of market, both of them. And and you don't want to piss off your fans, you know, (laughs) once in a while throw a snake picture up just for for good measure, but that's really it. So I started Plumbus Pythons and Boas and I like the fact that the, on Instagram, you can share it as soon as you post it to Instagram. It shares it to your Facebook page. So I kind of you kind of can kill two birds with one stone nowadays, um, which makes it easier. So you don't have to post to both things. You post to one and post to the other. And you know, like I said, you just put up interesting stuff, and um, that's pretty much what I do. I put up my I I have enough stuff that I produce now that I can put up my own stuff on a regular basis, and people seem to be interested in it. And then you know, I'll put up little comparisons sometimes. What I've been doing recently, I wish I had more time to do it, is I've been doing little clips. Sometimes I'll put up a clip of something that I did on on um, YouTube, right? And to get people excited about the about the video, because a lot of times people don't know just because they follow your Instagram, they don't know you have a YouTube channel, which I always find crazy. Because once I find one person's page, I always go to the all their pages, but not everyone does that. So you got to cross promote on on all your platforms, so to speak. And just be consistent. People like go to pages that they'll consistently see stuff on, uh, and don't overpost. I think that's a big mistake a lot of people make too. They they put too much stuff up there, and that's sometimes annoying. I have this I have this girl that I work with. Uh, she does the. I told her I said start putting up like you know you should put up like tips about how to train at home. You know now that right, we're, we're right. all quarantined, and she's putting up like like twenty five clips a day on her Instagram, <laughs> and it always pops up on my timeline because she made me follow her, and it's annoying. People, it, it's annoying because it's kind of redundant. So you're better off. Less is sometimes better. Let people want more rather than give them too much. You know, that's a, that's a really good tip, man. That's a really good tip, man. So um, 
one of the things that uh that I've always uh, noticed is and and wondered what especially from people that put up a, a high volume uh, and I'm not saying high volume in a short time but just a steady volume of uh, social media work is what kind of time commitment is associated with that work? Do you feel like uh, you spend a lot of time a day uh, handling the social media side of the house? I think that my wife would probably tell you yeah, he does spend too much time on, on his phone. <laughs> so I, I, you know what the truth is? And I, I hate to say this. If, if I didn't have kids, I probably would be on there all day putting stuff up <laughs> because that's the kind of person, because that's how I am. I, I don't think I ever do enough. Just like on the bodybuilding, I don't think I ever produce enough videos. I always look at, I'll watch the other stuff and see what other people put up, and I'm like, you know, what? I should have done more. And I'm like, you know what? You, what are you nuts? You, you you put two videos up a day. We we do, you know. So I have that that driven mentality. I just think I can never put enough stuff up. So I have to sometimes pull myself back a little bit and 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 just you know say calm down. Um, you can't spend the whole day on social media. So I try to put up something something significant every day if possible. Um, let's face it. We're always going to be cleaning snakes, right? You're always right. going to be in your snake room every day, you know. The more stuff you have, the, you could always put, you know, cool stuff up there, you know. Um, while you're cleaning, just have your phone in your pocket. And you know what? If something unusual, you know, or something funny happens or something like Sometimes I'll find a snake and it's like like hanging from my a light fixture. I'm like, where the hell did this guy get out? How did he get up there? I'll take a picture of it and put it on Instagram. You know, people love that stuff. You know, if a boa gives birth and, you know, a lot of times I forget. You know, I'm like, oh, shit, why didn't they take a picture of that? And I'll run back to the to the snake building and I'll, and I'll go take a picture. But, yeah, just take pictures, you know, if, and have them on your phone. You don't have to post them instantly. Once they're on your phone, then when you're later, you know, Look, let's face it. Every, we all go to the toilet bowl and sit on the toilet with our phone, right? So oh, yeah, while you're sitting on the toilet with your phone, you post a couple pictures on your Instagram, you know. But take the pictures during the day and have them there, and then you can always, you know, you, you, whatever you want to do with them at that point. Yeah, no, that's um, a great so, thing, man. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, that, that's, that's absolutely on pointing. I think one of the things that maybe we're saying but not quite speaking about is the fact that you are selling a lifestyle in a lot of ways, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. What I'll tell you what I'm jealous about. When I watch some of these guys' YouTube channels, uh, my friend Miguel from Always Evolving Pythons, he these guys are doing like it's almost like day in the life of themselves. Right, you know, they're right. showing, and and you know what the funny thing is, I know people would like that because I have I have like an unusual, interesting life because it's not it's not it's, it's insane. If I had a camera crew filming me like for a reality show, it would be popular. I promise you. My wife and I arguing, you know, you would people would love it, but I, I there's got to be at some point, there's got to be some kind of like um, shut off the camera type of time, you know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. I think it's, it can be too much, too. Um, I used to do before I was like married, I would do Day in the Life of Day Palumbo for my bodybuilding channel. People loved it. I would shave, I would show them how I bleach my teeth. I would, you know, I would go to you know pet st- aquarium stores. I would you know go. The, the guy around the corner had my jet ski. He was jerking me around. I went in and threatened him and something like that, and yelling and screaming at him. People loved the stuff. And you know, if I did that with the snake stuff, you know, and, and included all that in the snake videos, I know that would be popular. I would probably have oh yeah way more followers. But what I decided was I wasn't going to do that because number one, I don't have enough time. Number two, it's too emotionally draining to, to, to constantly have a camera on you. I have a camera on me all the time anyway for bodybuilding. So what I decided was I'm just going to make the, the YouTube channel educational. I'm, once in a while, I'll throw funny, you know, put some funny stuff in there. If, if I, Sometimes I get bit and I get a security camera footage 
from my security cameras of me getting bit and get you know just looking like a complete idiot. I'll put that on there. But but by and far, I try to. I'm just going to say you know what I'm just going to keep it. For the, and I know what's going to happen. I'm going to isolate myself, and I'm only going to have the hardcore fans that are going to really just want to learn about snakes and or into morphs, the geeky stuff. And I'm not going to have the the, the popular people, you know, the population of right. just people that like to watch goofy shit. I'm not going to get those people, but it's okay. I don't, I don't. If I don't get a million followers, whatever it is, you know, Brian Barchik took a different approach. He said, "I got to get the masses because that's going to enable me to." create the zoo I want to produce and then you know that he wants to be like a celebrity on TV and he made his own TV you know through YouTube and he's and, he, and he's doing very successfully I'm kind of friends with him so uh, you know kudos to him he's doing a great job with that and, but that's what all well, he does he doesn't have a bodybuilding you know and his kids are full grown so he can right. he can do that you know so you have to kind of figure out what your um, I guess you could say home life is like what your schedules like because a lot of people have regular jobs i'm lucky that i kind of i'm my own boss but i work more probably hours than most people do at a normal job but i'm kind of i can make my own hours but if you have to go to the you know the office or you have to go to a hospital or you have to go wherever you work for eight hours a day that's going to cut into how much time you have available to do this so you have to look and see what you have available and cater your social media and your youtube presence to what you can do consistently Absolutely. That's man. important. Absolutely. That yeah. means every day. Yeah. Because if you can't do it, you might get a couple great videos, but then you're not doing it consistently. People stop watching your channel. So find out what you can do on a consistent basis and then do that rather than try to give yourself such grandiose plans that you fail right from the beginning because you just don't have the time to put into it. Absolutely, man. Those are great tips, man. I appreciate you kind of sharing that with us. So now, brother, we're going to jump uh, into the Dirty Dozen. All right, guys, it's time for the Dirty Dozen. Dave, I'm going to ask you 12 questions. You give me 12 answers. They can be as short or as long as you want. Here we go. So, okay. number one, what's the size of your current collection? I have no idea. But I, I would say <laughs> I would say anywhere ranging from 250 to 350 animals. All right, number two, husbandry. Are you a frozen and thawed guy or are you a life, life feeder? And uh, what kind of bedding do you uh, like to use? Everything's on paper towels or paper. All my big snakes I put on uh, U-line paper and all the um, ball pythons. And anything in a smaller tub goes on, on bounty paper towels, which I'm, um, I'm in constant uh, search of now that we have this quarantine <laughs> because everyone's buying up all the paper towels. But, um, yeah, I, I just like it better. I just think it's easier. The only thing I have on um, coconut chip is uh, I have some blue tongues. I have four blue tongue skinks, and I put those on there because they 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 don't like paper towels and they, and they poop too many times a day, so it, it would be too hard. As far as um, what I feed, I feed the boas and the carpet pythons and the berms, um, frozen thawed, and all the ball every ball python and all my babies get live because I don't have time to sit there wiggle stuff, you know, waiting for them to eat it. So all the babies get and ball pythons get live because ball pythons are horrendous eaters, and the <laughs> and the good eaters, the ones that will eat anything, those all get frozen thawed. So I do you know about half and half. Cool. Number three, uh, what's your favorite morph or locality of boa? Hmm, that's a tough one. To pick a to pick a to pick one. I guess I would say. 
I guess I'm going to say Labyrinth. I really do. I really, I'm really into the Labyrinth. All right, man. Number four, what is the most overrated morph in your opinion? Or a morph that maybe just is doesn't doesn't do it for you? You know, I think they're all they all have their own merit. And you know what? The, the minute I say that one is not cool, <laughs> someone will make a combination with it that will be freaking off the freaking that's charts. The way, you know? That's the way it is, man. <laughs> right? Isn't that always the case? So, you know, it's like, you know, I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll deviate from Boas for a second. They have a, a morph in, in ball pythons called the Sunset. Right. And it, it's ridiculously priced. Brian Barczyk brought it in originally, and it, it, they're still selling them for great. It's the ugliest morph I've ever seen. And, you know, I'm, I want to have everything. That's like the, my mentality. And I have no desire to have this morph. I just think it's, it, no one has made anything with the thing that, that looks great. And a lot of people spent a ton of money on this thing. And, I, I think everyone is just mixing it with everything to try to hopefully hit something. And you know what? Someone might hit a combination that looks amazing. But to me, that that was an overrated morph. I don't think there's anything overrated in, 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 in Boas. Like, in other words, anything that's expensive is, is pretty cool, you know? Yeah. I haven't seen something that says, oh, I would never spend any money on that. that what a waste that is, you know? <laughs> All right. What's the most underrated morph in Boas? Um... What do you feel Good people question. are sleeping on? Good question. Look, I love the Scoria boa. I didn't even mention that. I should have maybe mentioned that in one of my uh, favorites. But I love it. It's like it's like a spider ball python in the sense that it has can have a little bit of a neurological wobble to it. But it, I don't think it's as bad. Um, but I love those that Scoria. I think it's the most unusual, unique-looking boa I've ever seen. It has a purplish hue to it. Um, the eyes are amazing. They don't, at least mine don't seem to get as big. And uh, I think it's there's a lot of untapped potential. I produced um, five Scoria doublehead paradigm bloods last year. I, I sold one to a good friend of mine, and I'm selling one more. I'm keeping three of them. I haven't listed the one I'm selling yet. If anyone's interested, contact me. But to me, I think there's ton of potential because a paradigm blood scoria is just going to be freaking nuts looking you know? oh yeah absolutely man just any blood with scoria is going to be insanely red because those things are very red on their own they're red already imagine putting a little bit of like you know i think paradigm might even be better i think because i've seen albino scorias and they're they kind of get a little washed out looking right. but i think the paradigm which is a little bit more melanin in it it gives a little more contrast i think with the blood which is a dark morph to me i think that's going to be a. I, I think it's going to be hit. I could be wrong, but you know, I, I'm. I can't wait to find out in a couple of years. Yeah. Definitely, man. All right, number six. What's your favorite part of the hobby? Uh, favorite part of the hobby? Why? I mean, I love breeding animals, but I think it's 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 seeing what everyone else makes. It's. I'll tell you, it's what drives me to to want to make better stuff. So I love the fact that we can share it all via social media because it it drives me crazy and at the same time it drives me, if that makes sense. Because I'll watch videos and if I see a video of someone making something that I didn't make first or that, that's better than what I have, I, I, I almost I can't sleep at night almost from it. It'll drive me so crazy. Uh, it happens more in ball pythons because I'm not quite up there with the with like like if I see Justin Kabilka produce something that's just nuts off the chart, I'm like, Ugh, I don't even I I almost have to stop watching it in the middle and then go back to it because I'm so depressed that he's like he has such great stuff. 
but that's what drives you to want to do better stuff, right? So you yeah, need definitely. that inspiration because if there's not someone better than you out there, then it's almost like you have nothing to strive for, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. All right, number seven, what's the worst part of the hobby? I think it's the people who whore out the animals, you know, the people who just uh, – you have a project that it's, it's, it's a high-end project. You bought into it at a high value, and then people just, you know, they need money, and then they start just – giving the stuff away and they, and they completely devalue the, the project. But, I mean, that's, that's with everything in life. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, yeah. that just comes with the, with, you know, I don't even care about the people out there who are the negative people who naysay everything because that's, that's, that's in life. I mean, when I do a YouTube video on my bodybuilding channel, I might get, you know, I can get a hundred thousand views on the channel, uh, on, on the video and I can get, I'll get people who love it and think it's the greatest thing and think I'm the greatest thing and the people who hate my guts and think I'm the most disgusting looking, stupidest, <laughs> misinformed person of all time. And I that, I laugh at that because you know that that's that's validation for me. You know, that means that I've gotten them so emotionally incensed that 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 I must have done something right. So I don't care about the negative people. Everyone knows, oh, it's the negative people. No, nah, that doesn't bother me. That's in every that's in every that's just jealousy. That's every aspect of life. I think it's the people who ruin the value of the animals because you know it's like a person who starts a nutrition company and realizes it's not so easy to sell protein powders if no one knows who you are and you don't right. really have anything special to offer so they just whore out all the protein all the powder ah you know what i have ten thousand units left i'll just sell it at like half of what i paid for it well guess what all the people buying your product which there'll be a lot of them buying it because they'll say holy shit look how cheap this is now they're not buying my product line. So you've right, just right. ruined my sales for the next six months until you liquidate your, your inventory that you should never have done. You know, So it happens in snake breeding too, unfortunately. A project that's really got tremendous potential and someone says, you know what, I'm just getting out of this. I don't care. I'll just, I'll just give away the animals essentially for almost nothing. And now how can you go sell an animal for $3,000 when someone just sold it for you know, 800 bucks? You know? Right. Absolutely. All right, number eight. Uh, what other species do you keep, and why? I have. I'm really into carpet. I'm I'm obsessed with producing a, a solid white carpet python. They've done it in Australia. It's called a moonglow. No one's done it here in the U.S. I've gotten as far as a, a, as a snow. I produced a snow. Uh, I there's a there is an outside chance I could produce a moonglow this year, which would be a first in the U.S. So that, I'm obsessed with that. I really, and I love carpets. They got a great personality. They're almost like very similar to. The ball python, excuse me, to uh, boas, except they are they're more arboreal and they're they're cool. So I really like them. I have blue tongue skinks. I have absolutely no success with them. They're, I can't even get them to eat. Everyone's like, oh, they eat like. <laughs> I, I have no. I don't know what I'm doing. I haven't killed anything yet, but they're just not. They're not going to breed for me, or and they're they're just not doing that well. And I even, and I've changed setups, and I've had them with lights now, UV lights, and I don't know. They're just they're just. Uh, I haven't really mastered that yet, so uh, it's a little. Uh, it's a little frustrating for me, but you know, and I have olive pythons from Australia, which I love, and I can't get them to breed either. So, yeah, you know, just when you think, you know, oh, I'm look at this guy, he's such a successful breeder. Well, you know what? No, I'm not. I'm not successful at everything I do. You know, uh, there's there's a learning curve in everything, and you know, sometimes it's, if you try to be an expert in too many things, you fail. So, um, I'm working on those two projects. I'd like to try to master the blue tongue skink and master the olive python. <laughs> Other than that, everything else is pretty cool. And I, I actually have some tortoises. I have some albino sulcata tortoises that I'm growing up. They're little babies. 
and I have a bunch of water turtles. I have some uh, albino red-eared sliders. I have some albino pink belly side neck turtles. And Tom Crutchfield produced these really cool Timor snake neck turtles. They're like almost solid black. Whoa. He's, I think, one of the only people to produce them in captivity. So I'm really good friends with Tom. Tom used to be into the bodybuilding world. I don't know if you knew that. And, yeah. Uh, ironically, I went to Tom's house. He invited me out there. And I pull up and my, my wife says, that guy looks familiar to me. And she's like, he's like, I think I know, I think I know you. They trained at the same gym together. Like when Tom had been, I guess, on probation, he couldn't have reptiles for a while. He lived in Fort Myers. Yeah. And that's ironic. They knew each other from the gym, which was kind of weird. But one of those meaningful coincidences, I guess. But yeah, anyway, I got, so I, I'm into kind of like weird turtles and stuff like that. I haven't really bred them, just kind of collect them, you know. All right, number nine. What's a common misconception about you? I guess you'd have to ask other people. <laughs> I don't. I don't listen to. I don't listen to the good opinion of others. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what what, what people think about me or don't think about me. I, I. You tell me. What do people think about me? Maybe I'll tell you it's wrong. Well, I think a lot of guys might be intimidated because uh, obviously your uh, former profession within the world of bodybuilding, thinking that maybe you were kind of a, a rough and gruff guy. But oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah people I guess you're that right. know you. You know, tend to right. say that you're about the nicest guy that's out there. So. <laughs> yeah, I was always the gentle giant. Yeah, you know, I, I have an intimidating look about me, especially when I was bigger, I think. And people were very afraid to come up to me. And they told me this later after I became friends with them. But I'm sorry, like, I, I, I'll talk forever. Just like I said, oh, yeah, well, let's do a short interview. And now we're, we're probably going on an hour and a half. I, I'm just a, a very personable person. I'm a, definitely a people person. And um, I think, like I said, sometimes you could look intimidating and people will be afraid to approach you. But, you know, once they get to know you, and I think that's what's great about social media because it gives me the ability to communicate with people and say, oh, this guy is pretty cool. You know, I have people who buy snakes from me and, and I'll get on the phone with them. They're like, oh, shit, I've been a bodybuilding fan of yours for like 10 years and I can't believe how cool you called me up. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, you know, you know, you're buying a snake, you know, I'd love to answer your questions. And so people respect that. I think they, yeah, absolutely. Res- I, you know what, my, my, my philosophy in life is I ain't better than no one. You know, my father was an English teacher. He wouldn't like the way I said that, but <laughs> I said it purposely like that. I ain't better than no one. I'm the same as everyone else. We're all the same. Anyone who thinks that they're better than someone else has got something freaking wrong with them. So once you once you have that mindset, people relate to you better because of that. Because they 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 pick up the fact that you're not condescending to them. You don't think you're better. Because there's a lot of snake breeders that dismiss people all the time. Oh, I'm not going to deal with that. That person wants a $100 snake. You know what? I spend more time on the phone and, and texting with people who want $50 snakes from me than with the people who want the $3,000 snake. Right. Because I believe that you should give equal time to everyone. Just because they, they can't afford to buy an expensive snake from you, you don't know what they might buy five years from you. Absolutely. Five years down the road from you. So I'm nice to everyone because I think that everyone starts. I remember when I was that that kid asking a million questions with $10 in my wallet. So, you know, I can relate to that, you know. Awesome, man. Number 10, what makes you say, what was I thinking when you look back at your time in the hobby? Um, nothing. I, I, I think that, you know, I've made some stupid mistakes. Like I said, I did the Red Ball Python project. But, you know what, I, I, I look at the uh, everything that I've ever invested in or bought into as a gamble anyway. It's like buying playing the stock market. Because right. you know what? You could buy a $10,000 snake and it could die in six months and you never even breed it. Absolutely. I've lost some expensive snakes that have died of me. I'm like, Same. I'm, I'm embarrassed to even admit it. But 
it hurt when they when I lost them, but you know, it is what it is. It, it's part of the prod. It's part of the um, hobby. You know, you, if you think you're gonna your snakes are all gonna live forever, and you're gonna get a million clutches out of you're you're crazy. Yeah. Snakes die. Animals die just for no reason. Carpet pythons. No one talks about this. A couple of people do, but they get tumors a lot. I don't know why. I didn't know this. I lost like two snakes to like tumors. I brought them to the vet. They had to remove them. And then, and then all of a sudden, I heard a couple people talking about them, saying, "You know, you know, yeah, I lost a couple snakes also." So, snakes die. I mean, yep. it happens all the time, and and for no reason. It's not because your husbandry is bad, because I've had I've had snakes have respiratory tract infections. I've treated them; they were fine. You know, I've had snakes have respiratory tract infection, and just and and just die for no reason. You know, I don't know why. Who knows? It just it just happens. Anyway, and and you know. What? Breeders hate to talk about that. Oh, I don't have any respiratory. I never get a respiratory tract infection. Well, then you know what? You're a fucking liar because yeah, everyone gets absolutely. a respiratory tract infection absolutely. out there. All right, number 11. What's one tip you would give to people looking to invest in boas and in reptiles? Buy what you really want. Don't buy what you think you can afford. Mm. That's important because these animals are going to be with you a long time. So don't just say, you know what, I, I, I got to have a snake. I'm just going to buy anything because you wouldn't go to a computer store and buy a computer from 2010 because it's affordable, right? Because you're buying old technology. Right. So if you like something, okay, get what you want. You're better off buying less animals but having what you really want because then you can make cool stuff with it, Okay. People, I see it all the time. You know, believe it or not, since this quarantine came around, you know, I'm always producing normal ball pythons. They just pop Ooh. up. You know, I just don't hit the odds or something like that. And I'm always like, oh, what am I going to do with these things? Because the shipping is almost more expensive than what I'm charging for them, right? Yeah. I sell them all the time. I sell oh. a ton of them, especially during the quarantine because people don't have a lot of money and they're like, well, I can afford a $50 snake. So, and that's fine. If you want a pet, that's fine. But if you're looking to breed, don't just buy you know, cheap stuff, save your pennies, you know, for what you really want. If you really want to get a clown, okay, if you want to get into the clown project, then buy some heck clown stuff. You know, don't say, well, you know what, I can't really afford clown stuff, so I'll just buy, you know, a hypo or something like that. Right. Because you're going to, then you're going to hate the animal and you're not going to want to, you know, breed it. Same thing with boas. Don't just buy, you know, a het this or het that. If you want to get into, you know, bloods, then then buy, you know, Head bloods, you know, or buy a blood. Save your money and get a visual blood. I always say it's always nice to have one visual animal in a pair because this way at least you know everything you produce will be at least 100% head. It's worth it waiting six months to get what you really want. There's enough out there now where you're not going to lose out on an animal, you know. Um, I bought a lot of good stuff right from the beginning. And look, I could have afforded to buy way more than I did, but you know what? You have to have some semblance of like, all right, I can't spend all my money on snakes, you know. So I said, what do I really want? Okay, I really wanted that labyrinth pair I told you about. Jeff was charging a lot of money on it. So I said, okay, I'm only going to allow myself to spend this much per, per you know, month on this animals. And I said, Jeff, can I pay you off over three months? I could have paid him right up front. But I knew if I did that, I would go out and buy something else. And then, right. you know, so I... You got to budget yourself, but at the same time, get what you want because then you'll be more enthusiastic about about breeding it. Absolutely, man. All right, man. Number twelve, the final one. Any shout outs you want to throw out there? Um, 
to like other people. Yeah. I think I gave a lot of shout outs. I gave a lot of credit to Vin Russo. I think he's got a, if you're into Boas, you got to buy his book, the, the new or the more complete Boa Constrictor. I think he did a wonderful job with the book. You know, um, he's got a really good feel for the Boa industry. He's been in it. He's been immersed in it his whole life. I mean, he, he, he he's a guy that you, you want to, you know, you might not do things exactly the way he does, but he's a guy who does things right. You know, I think uh, Mike White's been over, uh, you know, basically, basically Boas. Yep. Um, He's got a great collection of stuff, too, and he's very, you know, uh, if you want good quality animals, he's got them. And so I want to give those guys a shout-out because they've helped me along the way. Jeremy Stone, too. Uh, Jeremy and I, you know, talked on the phone a lot. You know, uh, I bought a bunch of fire stuff from him. But, you know, we talked on the phone. And, and probably one of the people, I got to tell you, who I didn't even mention him, and I should have. I could probably do a whole show about him. Peter Call. Oh, yeah. Pete Call. A friend of mine was going down and buying some ball pythons from him, and I guess Pete had gotten wind that I was got the body that I got into snake breeding, and he's a big bodybuilding fan. Yes, he is. Yeah. And he told my friend, "Tell Dave anytime he wants to come down." So my wife, when we we just started dating, we drove down to Maryland when I was living in New York to his place, and we didn't even when I got there, we didn't even talk about snakes for the first three hours I was there. He was riding bikes, and we were eating in his house, and he was drinking and I had he, he invited me to stay over he didn't even have even met me he was like stay the knife I'm like nah Peter can't so we, we went over to his facility and he's like he doesn't let anyone videotape oh yeah he never oh, yeah. gets on camera he I'm the only person I think that he ever did a video with and he was showing me I didn't even know what I was doing back then I just started got into it and if you can watch that video on muscle surface it's got probably the most hits of any video I did because Pete is such an elusive guy He's a pioneer. This guy is 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 a boa genius. He's a snake genius. He's a, he's a, he's like a prodigy, you know. And he's the nicest guy. And to this day, I still text with him all the time. And um, he's just a super nice guy. And he's you know, he's the guy who who put you know the albino boa into the boa world. Really, I mean, he's the first guy who bred him and got him out there. And uh, oh yeah, he did some great stuff with it. So yeah, I definitely want to give a shout out to him as well. Awesome man. Well, guys, that wraps it up for today. Dave, tell the people out there where they can see your animals and learn more about you. Absolutely. You can go to uh, Palumbo's Python's Instagram um, or my uh, Palumbo's Python's and Boa's um, Facebook page. Or you could uh, check out Muscle Serpents University YouTube channel. That's my YouTube channel, of course. If you want to check out any bodybuilding stuff, I do rxmuscle.com and the RX Muscle YouTube channel. I make myself, you can call me. At, you know, <laughs> my phone number is all over everything. Uh, you can email me at huge285 at AOL.com. It's the same email I've had since 1994. <laughs> and my phone number is the same phone number since I had since 1994 or 92, whenever cell phones came out. <laughs> so, That's awesome. You know, I'm, pretty, I make, I'm a pretty open book. You, you can, people know that. You can contact me, ask questions, whatever. I'm, I'm really open you know, to uh, answering any of your questions. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for listening. We are out. Guys, that was a great episode. Thanks to Dave Palumbo of Palumbo's Pythons and Boas. Join us for our next episode when we talk to Chad Schillens of Low-Key Boas. We're going to talk about his work with the Spectre Gene. We're also going to talk about his life in the NFL and what it was like building a collection while working a job that had him constantly travel. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Do us a favor. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. Until next time... Grow them slow.